This morning we're going to break it down and read uh, as each section as I preach. And so let me go ahead and just pray that God gives us wisdom as we come to his word. We're in Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 44. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Let's pray now and let's ask God to give us wisdom as we study his word. Lord Jesus, you reveal yourself through your word. You invite us to know you through the stories that you are telling. This morning we ask for your wisdom as we study this story of the feeding of 5,000. We ask that you give us insight, not only to understand its truths, but to be able to uh, act them out. God, what is it that you're revealing that you want us to know and believe that will change how we live? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the, the title, if I were to give this a title besides Jesus uh, Feeds the 5,000, it would go something like this. How an unwanted crowd and some unwilling disciples show us God's heart in heaven for his people here on earth. Long title, but every part is true. Listen to that again. How an unwanted crowd and some unwilling disciples shows us the heart of God in heaven for his people here on earth. Now I want to do just a quick recap because the last time uh, before uh, we, we left off, Alex was here last week uh, preaching and he was preaching from Romans. And so the last time we left off on Mark, we had just finished with the beheading of John the Baptist. And that story uh, in and of itself was, was, was kind of a pause in the story that Mark was writing because just before that, Jesus' ministry had reached uh, a new point. And instead of the disciples simply following Jesus, they were going to be sent out. And he sends them out in groups of two to all of the villages around Galilee. And so as we pick up this morning, we're picking up the rest of that story. Now, we read some of that before where they come back together and Jesus wants to meet with them. But now we need to see the rest of the story. And I'll give you just a, a quick overview before we begin to read it section by section. Jesus' disciples, two by two, return from their mission. And they need rest. They're tired. They've been ministering. They've been pouring out. And Jesus is going to invite them. He says, hey, come away with me. Let's get some rest. And they get together to have a meal. But as everybody begins to figure out that Jesus is back and they're meeting with his, he's meeting with his disciples, guess what happens? Everybody starts to come around where they're eating. In fact, the press of the crowds and the constant questions and people asking to talk with Jesus or wanting Jesus to heal is, is uh, so strong that Jesus says, hey, let's get up and go. We, we can't meet here because the, the people are, are bringing their needs. Uh, I want to have compassion. But Jesus also recognizes at this point in his ministry, his investment is in those 12. And so Jesus says, let's get in a boat. And let's go across and, and find what we... He, uh, some translations say a desolate place, some say remote. But the, the, the point was, we have to get away so I can debrief with these disciples, with these apprentices. Because they went out on their first mission and we need to share together what's happened. And immediately as they get on the other side of the boat, they're met by the very same crowd. The crowd saw where they were going. They run ahead. They try to get ahead of, of the boat. We don't know all the explanation. Maybe there was a strong headwind. 
Uh, maybe it was a corner of the Sea of Galilee. But the very same people they tried to just get away from because they were so spent. Meet him on the other side, and guess what? They are needing Jesus. And that's where we pick up this story. Now, let me just get us in the right frame of mind. Because if you're going to connect with this passage, I need you to get where the disciples are at and how they're feeling. So I want you to think of a time, whether it was recently or in the past, when you reached your limit and your want to, to serve other people. Now, I, most of us, there, there is some satisfaction and joy that we receive from meeting people's needs. But then we all know, but then I get a limit. I have limits on Sundays. After coffee and, and all the conversations, I'm ready to go and to sit and be quiet. I, I talk all morning. Uh, and as much as I love it, I, and I, have, uh, I love every single one of you, visitors included. But the reality is, there's a time where I, I just need to shut down. And, and because it, there, there is, there's a, a specific line when I cross where it's no longer working out of joy that I, I, I recognize God is inviting me into a different area, right? Because because like the just the happy, hey, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's do one thing together. But here's where the disciples were at. They had just been ministering and ministering and ministering and pouring out of themselves as they learned. And this, by the way, this is their first time ministering by themselves. They get back to meet with Jesus. They're wanting to spend time. They're hungry. They're tired. And they want to talk with Jesus. Have you ever had that... that uh, being a parent, we have children, and there's times when kids just want to talk. They're, they're, hey, I want to get into conversation. And disciples are like this. I just want to talk to Jesus, and the people won't stop coming. And so we get the boat so we can go have a conversation. Guess what? The people meet us. It's the first thing they see. And you need to understand where the disciples are at this point. This point of being tired. This point of needing to be with Jesus. This, this point of, of ministry and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, and you're reaching the point, and you're going to see it, where it just says, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done. Have you gotten to this point where, like, there's no longer joy, they're just complaining? To the people you're serving, you're like, yeah, that's great. When you, get to your, when you get to talking to your wife at home, like, doggone it, I'm about done. I, no. You're complaining, you're negative, uh, you, you, you're not serving with a humble heart, you're not having joy. Have you reached there? Have you been there? And I know every single one of you has, because if you, if you didn't, you'd be in heaven. <laughs> but I need you to get there, because that's where this story is going to take us. I want you to think of, when were you there, and what did you do? Now, let's pick up the story. And if, by the way, if I'm going to give you three words about the story, the three words are going to be this. In verses 34 or 30 to 34, compassion. If I'm going to give you one word that I want you to walk away with, compassion. Verses 35 to 38, we're going to talk about invitation. And verses 39 to 44, we're going to talk about satisfaction. So these are three things, and you walk away today, your walk away truths of what, what do I need to know from this passage? Compassion, invitation, satisfaction. We're going to build those out, but I want you to know, put them in your head. Compassion, invitation, satisfaction. Now, 
Just one preliminary before we start. This story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle all four Gospels record. So we, we have many of Jesus' miracles recorded, but in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four accounts. This is the only miracle Jesus performed that all four of the Gospels include. This should speak to the importance of this miracle because all four of the authors saw this in unison and said, this is one of the most important stories that we could communicate about Jesus, what he did, and who he is. And this is also, just so you know, the, the, we would say greatest miracle. I mean, when I say greatest, I'm not trying to compare them. What I mean is, this is the miracle that involved the most people. So when we talk about what, uh, how many people actually encountered uh, a divine miracle on that day, because you know that Jesus performed uh, maybe hundreds of miracles or, uh, uh, in a day when people would come to him and he would heal. But it was individual, right? Each had their own story and each were healed and they walked away with their individual story. This is the largest story, the largest gathering where Jesus works a miracle for a singular audience. So there's something very significant here. Now, let's read verses 30 to 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Remember, they were returning from their journey. Then because so many people were coming and going... They did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. As I mentioned, the word I want us to focus in on this first section is compassion. Because in this one word, we are given insight into the very heart of God for his people here on earth. I want you to know that this word, compassion, is only used of Jesus. This is supernatural compassion. This is compassion on a whole different level. What I'm really impressed with, and this is where I was telling you, where we need to kind of feel our place in the story and what was taking place, is that instead of being angry with the crowds or frustrated with the crowds or scolding the crowds, because Jesus had just tried to get away from this very crowd so he could spend time with his disciples. Jesus instead has compassion. Now, the word here is, is interesting. I won't get into the details of the Greek, but the idea, the sense of this word is that he felt it in his, it says his bowels or his insides. This happens in normal life. Have you ever been so nervous that you feel it inside? Like we call them butterflies. Uh, have, have you ever been so nervous or scared? Like when, you, when you're scared, you feel it inside. It's, it's not just in your head, right? You, your body feels it. And this word is saying, this is where like, I have compassion. But Jesus felt that compassion in his bowels. Sometimes we say we feel it in our heart. But there was, there was a literal, a physical sense to Jesus' compassion. 
of how much he loved the crowds and how much he identified with their hurts. And Jesus' compassion really becomes a model for us because Jesus is able to see the crowds and instead of seeing all the frustration that I might have at that point in time, Jesus is able to show the exact opposite. And this is why this word is so important because if there was... Sometimes when we talk about, like, I saw who they really were. Because we recognize that people could put up a front, right? And just like I was saying to you, there's times where I can serve, and I can serve with joy on the front. But when I get home, the real me comes out, and I share with my wife how I really felt, right? Do you not do that? I'm not the, the only person, right, who does this. Who's, who's, and it's not that we're trying to be fake. It's the fact that we do want to care, and we do want to serve, and we do want to have compassion. So it's not being fake. It's just the the reality, though, that at times, I don't feel it here. I do it sometimes. uh, I do it, one, because I want to follow Jesus. I do it, two, sometimes because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You You don't want people to see that part of you. But the reality is, if we were to get to the heart of God... There's something fundamentally different about how he loves people and his compassion. There's a supernatural compassion that exists in God that is only used about God, and that's what we see. If there's anything that should be encouraging about this passage is that when you catch Jesus at probably what would have been his worst moment, has anybody caught you at the wrong wrong moment? You're like, oh, I'm sorry you had to hear that. Or I'm sorry, right? Has that not happened? I'm sorry you had to see that. I'm sorry I talked that way. Because, you know, like all of a sudden he snapped. And the real you comes out, like what you're feeling. And then you, the real you also comes out. You might apologize. Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But I, 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 I couldn't keep it in any longer. And the reality is that's us. But Jesus is able, if you, talk, you say, who is Jesus? What is his heart really? Uh, this is, there's, a, there's a new book called Gentle and Lowly. One of the things it gets at, the only description we have of Jesus and his heart comes from the scriptures itself, comes from Matthew, and it says, uh, when he's inviting people to come to him and rest, he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is a God of compassion. So we see that right here. Now, the thing that Jesus says, and and maybe to help uh, unpack this compassion, because the next thing it says, the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus shows the kind of compassion that only a shepherd would have for his, his sheep, or, or the kind of compassion that uh, a shepherd would have for taking care of his flock. And I want to read this. This is a constant theme in the New Testament and Old Testament. And so let me read from Numbers 16 and 17. Let's look at the Old Testament. It says, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, Appoint someone over this community, talking about Israel, to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. God is compassionate, and he loves his people. And not only does he love his people, God loves being God to his people. I told you my compassion, and I believe yours does too. I hit limits. My love hits limits. But God, literally, in his character, is compassion. God wants to be God to you. The godness of God is that he actually is compassion. I have to choose compassion. 
And in my best moments, I do, and I do it with joy. In my worst moments, I grumble, I want to turn my back, or I do it and I get home. I lose the whole blessing of doing it with joy. I come home, I, I waste my wife's time by complaining to her about the situation, uh, as if it wasn't bad enough to walk through the situation. And then I sit there, and instead of being refreshed by serving, I'm worn down by my complaints and my grumbling, and I wear others down. Now, Ezekiel 34, 5-10, look at this beautiful language about what it looks like uh, for God to think about what a shepherd is and his accusations against his own people. He says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for them or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus is talking to the leaders, the kings, the people who are supposed to take care of his people. And this is not just for the Jews. This is anyone in authority. God is the only one who has all authority. And he gives us authority on earth to use his authority for good. And everywhere we look in this world, we see that authority being used in abuse. And God is speaking out to that. And he says, you shepherds, you hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not reach or search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Going down further in verses 23 and 24, it says this, I will place them over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them, and he will be their shepherd. I will be their God. My servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Jesus isn't just compassionate. He desires to be the shepherd for us. In John, John is going to, to unpack the fact that Jesus is this good shepherd. This David who will come. The one who God says, I will send my people a shepherd who will take care of their needs. And so the first thing I want us to see, the walk away truth, is this compassion. Jesus has compassion. And if you need a word picture for that, he is a shepherd. Jesus longs to shepherd you. And what you need to walk away with this morning is you need to understand the heart of God in heaven for his people here on earth. God has compassion for you. He wants to shepherd you. And friends, that truth is life-changing. If you open your heart to know and to receive that kind of compassion, it will change your life. Because there is nothing else that we can give ourselves to. There is no one else we can give ourselves to that will pour into us and take care of us. Nobody else can be God to us besides God. And so fundamentally, this compassion changes us. Let me sec the second thing I want to talk about is invitation. Let's read 35 to 38. By this time, it was late in the day. So we're continuing the account. His disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And they said, It's already very late. Send the people away 
so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37 says, But he answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they went out, they said, Five and two fish. So let's stop here. Let's talk about invitation. So, Look at the text. All the disciples come to him, and it's, it's clear. They made a group decision. So the disciples had reached their limit. Remember I told you, there is going to be that time where you reach your limit. The disciples have already been on mission. They tried to have a dinner with Jesus. They were overrun by the crowds. They go in a boat. The crowds come there. Jesus stops, and he teaches them. And the disciples sit and wait. Jesus finally serves the crowds, and here's what happened. They get together, they talk, and like, hey, okay, enough, enough. All right, let's talk to Jesus. Uh, let's, in, let's tell him what's obvious. We're in a remote place. There is no food around here. We can't provide for the clouds or the crowds. It's late at night, which means, by the way, read into that, late at night traveling. You don't travel late at night in these areas. This is unsafe. And so they have physical limits. We can't actually feed this many people. They have monetary limits. There actually isn't the funds to feed this many people. Uh, And the reality is it's late and the crowds need to be dispersed. Now, let's look at the unexpected response. Because all that honestly makes logical sense. It is late. They are tired. They can't buy that much food. By the way, uh, you see later in this account it says 5,000 men. We don't know, and that doesn't include the women and children. We don't know how large the crowd was. It could be double the size of that, uh, that 5,000. Some commentators said it could be as many as 25,000. We don't know the size. It's at least 5,000. The average town or village at this time is between one and 3,000. So you can imagine the, how ludicrous it would be to think we could go buy that much bread because a town of 3,000 doesn't make bread for 10,000 people. How many towns would we go to and try to buy all their bread? And by the way, have you ever been to a German bakery? It's got bread in the morning. doesn't have so much bread in the afternoon. The bread gets bought out. This is the worst time to go buy bread. Are you seeing all the logical things stacked up against here of why the disciples would say, Jesus, it's time to send them home. And then there's a response. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, I want to just dive down deeper into here because this is the invitation I want you to see. Think about that. They tell Jesus, it's time to send everybody home. Jesus' response. I would love to know his tone when he said this. Was it like just, hey, you guys buy them something to eat? Or is it, buy them something to eat? I don't know. But it's a provocative question. And one that I said provocative, one that provokes you to look at Jesus' question and answer in a way that is going to meet him head on. And that's what they do, right? They said, with what money, basically? You expect us to go out. So why does Jesus ask the question in this way, and, and what does it mean? How does this lead to invitation? Here's why I think Jesus asked the question this way. Because it makes them come face to face with their lack of compassion for the crowd. The first thing Jesus does not do is go to all the physical limitations. 
We're in a remote place. There's no bread. There's no money. It's late. And by the way, we're beyond tired. And so are they if they ran across the sea to get to this place before we did. But Jesus meets head on what was the real issue. And honestly, if, if Jesus were to meet me head on in those, those times when I'm, I'm beyond tired and my heart has no joy, the, it's not the physical limitations. Yeah, I'm tired. The limitation is this right here. It's, it's, it's my inability to show compassion after a certain point. And Jesus meets that head on. Now, look at the disciples. It also, it does invite them to look at their limitations. Because when Jesus says, you buy them bread, all those things we just listed are still in place. They actually have, there's no way they can have that much money. The, 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 uh, the, the version I read says eight months wages, and I think some versions say 200 denarii. Basically, you have uh, a denarii is one day's wages. And so for the average worker, this would be eight months' work. Uh, who has that kind of money on them? But one, where would you get the bread? There's, there's physical limitations all over. And I believe Jesus asked this question, and this is where it's important for us, to really reveal that the issue is their want to. Their want to. And I think that's where this message hits us all. Is, is what happens to you, honestly, what happens to you when you've ministered and you poured yourself out, when you're tired, when going for, when you think, I've already gone as far as I can go, I finally got home, I just sat down. Let me tell you actually a, a real story. A few years ago when we were doing ministry, uh, and I won't give you all of the details, but it's not involving anybody in this room, but I had ministered all day. I was the, the car ride to pick everybody up. I worked on the field all day. I was so tired, hot in the sun. I was, I was the setup crew. I was the breakdown crew. I was the drop-off crew. Everybody got dropped off. I was the last one home. I finally get home, and I, by the way, I'm telling you this not to build myself up. This is the reality, and I think this is how you feel. I felt like, man, I had put the world on my shoulders. I had done it all. I got home. I just wanted to rest, and I thought, man, I don't know if I could pour out any more and I got a phone call. Your guests don't like their food. I'm thinking, <laughs> we had prepared meals. People had made food. We had taken care of every need. And I'm 25 minutes away, and I'm being told they want you to go get something else. Let me just tell you, I was not a righteous man in that moment. <laughs> and the issue was... Did I, Physically, could I have done it? I looked to my, all my excuses were physical limitations. But the reality is, here, I didn't have any want to. Like, my want to had got up and left at like 12 noon. It was done. The rest of the day was not working on want to. I was working on have to. And that, let me just invite you that this is never what ministry with God looks like. God invites us to a place. Remember I told you his compassion is never used of us. It's only used of Jesus. The only person that can give you the compassion to keep going is Jesus. Because you will reach the, the limits of your compassion and you will reach the limits of your resources. And by the way, it's not a mistake that Jesus decides to meet a need in the desolate place. Because the place of the problem, the place where we saw all of our limitations, and the place where God is going to provide are one in the same place. It's no mistake 
That when the disciples saw all the limitations, this place, this desolate place where there is no way to meet a need, and we're beyond our ability in and of ourselves to keep going on. We're beyond joy. Joy, that was a long time ago. That was when we were walking back from the, the villages. It was before we tried to have dinner. It was before we landed and the people were still there. And it was before Jesus decided to teach for how many hours? Because he says he taught them many things. He's like, thanks, Jesus. That's really great. But that's how our hearts are, are they not? Am, am, am I trying to be funny, or is that not where we are at? And so here's the second thing I want you to know. If you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, you will get an invitation to go more than you want to and into will you. Jesus will invite you. He will ask you, will you go? Because Jesus didn't ask them to manufacture food, and he didn't ask them to uh, to create the money, he says, will you feed them? You feed them. Jesus is going to bring you to a place where your want to is gone, and he will just simply invite you and say, will you? Will you do this with me? Will you go farther? The second thing we want to see is that invitation. Lastly, let's take a look at satisfaction. Let's pick up in verse 39. Then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and he set them, uh, he, to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the twelve baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish and the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, very specifically, he said the number of men. We don't know how big the crowd was. But the number of men, apart from women or children who may have been there, was 5,000. So this feeding was certainly 5,000 and more. Like I said, some commentators will say it was maybe double. Some commentators said, well, if there was women and children, this could be uh, 20,000 plus. What I want us to see here. First of all, look how, honestly, how insignificant the amount of food is. Five loaves and two fish. And by the way, these loaves are not like bread loaves. Uh, the, the kind of loaves that they had back then was more like a little, um, like a, a, a pounded little wafer like this. Uh, maybe I would say kind of like naan, but smaller uh, and harder. It wasn't, it, this wasn't fresh stuff like, oh, look at this naan I just got. Uh, it, it's nice and soft. We'll put a sandwich in it. This stuff was rugged. Put it, put it in your leather satchel, put it on a camel, go through the desert, and you pull out your, your uh, loaf of bread. So these are small, and we're told that there was uh, five loaves and just two fish. Now, I just did some math, and I did it on 5,000. So what if it was just 5,000 men? And that amount of food would probably just feed one adult. We'll go the extra mile and say it feeds two adults. Here's how much that provision could actually meet. 0.0004%. That is what existed in the crowd. So if you want to actually get technical and say, okay, how much? When Jesus says, go and see what's in the crowd, how much or how far could this provision go? 0.0004% of the crowd. Now, just take a look at the divine order uh, that Jesus uh, asserts here. By the way, if, if I worked in uh, uh, nonprofits overseas for many years, and if you ever have a food distribution 
You better be sure you got it planned out because chaos will erupt. If you start trying to get out food, uh, and, and everybody, because how does everybody, just think of a line at the airport. When people think, I got to get to that one spot, it's chaos. Everybody's pushing and shoving. I remember trying to get in an airport in, in Vietnam, and I thought, this is nuts. They're allergic to queuing. Uh, there is no line. This happens when people think resources are scarce, right? I need to get mine before others do. And so Jesus, using his divine wisdom, says, you sit down in hundreds and fifties. You get them sitting down, you sit seated, and we will bring the food. Jesus sits them down, and then he gets them to give us a model. Jesus literally grabs the food, and he looks toward heaven. He prays to God, and he trusts that God will provide a miracle with that point zero 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 four percent Now, just so you know, God could have done it out of nothing. Nothing. God didn't need the loaves and the fish, folks. And he actually doesn't need your little. And this is the beauty. God invites us to come and partner with him. And he says to the disciples, go and see what they have. Bring it here. And let's walk in faith together. That if we open our hands, we pray to God and we give him our little, God will multiply it into much. That's the basic principle of life. That God isn't strapped for resources. The things that we're holding on so tightly. It's 0.004%, folks. And, and that is true of, of all of life. These things where when we think it, it is the, the supply is low, we hold on to our funds and we're worried about what we have and we're not worried about what others don't. The reality is we're fundamentally operating differently than God set things up. Where he invites us, take our little, put it in our hand, pray to a big God and allow God to multiply. Because he doesn't ask us to have to multiply. Can you imagine if Jesus, what he literally meant was the disciples, you provide for them. But that wasn't Jesus' invitation. Jesus says, I am not asking you to manufacture. I'm asking you to distribute. We don't have to try to, to uh, collar the resources of heaven. We pray to a God who provides, and then we allow ourselves to be vessels that distribute. What I want to focus on is that this little word that all ate and were satisfied. Jesus has compassion on their needs. He gathers them to sit down in the green grass. By the way, very clear overtones of Psalm 23, and the Lord is our shepherd, making us lie down in green grass. Uh, the fact that they're in green grass tells us exactly that this was probably right after winter. Uh, it was spring. This was the only time the grass grew in these desert or these, these remote regions, and it tells us this was exactly a year before Jesus died. Uh, where he's going to uh, die at Passover or offer his life. So just give you a timeline. And so there's green grass. He's going to ask them to sit down in, in, in groups of 50 or 100. And he's going to organize them. Uh, and he's going to say, hey, let me eliminate the chaos. Let me speak wisdom into your life. And he's going to teach us a pattern of looking up to heaven. And then he's going to satisfy us from his provision. Every single person went away satisfied. And what's even more is there was extra provision. God, God's resources are not spent on meeting our needs. God performs this miracle to say, not only did every single person eat, not only was every single person satisfied, not only did every single person who came to me hungry, who was willing to open their hands for five loaves and two fish, the whole crowd walks away satisfied and God's provisions are not yet done. 
Only God is the all-sufficient God who needs nothing but invites us in and then blesses us in such a way that says, not only will you be satisfied, but there is more for others. So the walk-away truth number three is this. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy all of your needs. Trust his inexhaustible provision. So three things this morning as we come to a close. Compassion. You need to walk away knowing compassion. You need to walk away knowing that God desires to be a shepherd who takes care of your needs. God desires to be God to you. You need to walk away knowing that if you're one of his disciples, that Jesus will invite you to go past your want to. He can invite you to go past what your physical limitations are, your financial limitations. He's going to invite you to walk with him a little further. And Jesus will say, will you? I know you're past your want to, but will you go with me? Every single one of us who calls Jesus Lord has an invitation to follow him further than we think we can go further than our, our spiritual ability to love, loving with God's compassion, further than the physical limitations of our tiredness and our finances and the limitations of place. Lastly, let me just make an application. I don't want us to miss the meaning of the miracle because the meaning of the miracle is not the feeding of the 5,000. John is the only one of the four Gospels who actually records what's next. And I want you to know, and you probably know the story. You know what happens after Jesus feeds the 5,000? Is that this very same crowd follows Jesus again. And I want to be careful that we don't misunderstand or misapply the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So, let me pick up in John chapter 6. And it says this. Here's the crowds. They follow Jesus again. And he says... Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, or because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're looking for me because you want me to fill your bellies again. He says, do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to come and you want me to satisfy your physical hunger again. You want to see the miracle. And Jesus is trying to point them to say, the, 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 the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was just a pointer. It was a pointer to say, if Jesus can miraculously provide for your physical needs, then what can he do for your true hunger of your soul? And he tells us, how do we apply the miracle? Here's Jesus' words himself. Here's what he says to the crowd in Mark 6.35, and we'll end here. Excuse me, uh, John 6.35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The feeding of the 5,000 is pointing us to the singular person who can not only meet our physical needs, but can meet the hunger of our soul. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a God who has revealed himself through his works. God, as we come to the 
the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We believe this story is, is for us to know what it is that your, your heart is feeling for us. God, you have compassion. And we see that you invite us, not do we want to, but will we? Will we just go and see? You invite us to go further with you. You include us in your work. We don't have to manufacture, but you provide. You provide the compassion, God. You provide the resources to meet the needs of people who are sheep without a shepherd. And God, you satisfy. Not only do you satisfy our physical hunger, not only can you meet our needs, but you are the only one who can satisfy our heart's longing for purpose. But why are we here? And where is everything going? God, everything is going to your eternal good and glorious reign over all the earth. And you invite us into that. That is called eternal life. We pray that the words and the truth of your scripture would sink deep into our hearts today. And you would give each of us wisdom on how to apply what we learn. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.